All right. Uh, was anybody paying attention? Did you did you recognize my welcome song? It, that was uh, that song was called "Too Much" by Dave Matthews Band, and uh, it was popular about the time we started this church. But uh, as I was preparing this message, I thought that is like could be the theme song for this uh, this message. Um, I'm not preaching thematic messages that are just coming off the top of my head or what I think you need to hear. Uh, I'm really going through First uh, John, and I didn't really title the series other than just saying we're going through First John, but I think that we're gonna title the series Live What You Believe, right? Because um, the Gospel of John is set to tell us that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Right, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John's gospel is intended to introduce you to Jesus. This is who this is. Right? John's letter called First John is intended to tell you this is what you do about that. This is how you're supposed to live. Right? Now I am taking themes out of there. I'm not going verse by verse. Uh, I. It's possible I will go verse by verse through 1 John after we get done with John. I'm still in John chapter 12 on Wednesdays, but we're hitting every verse. We're not hitting every verse here. There's so much good material, it's hard to pass some things up. Um, so the first week we, uh, we were in 1 John chapter 1, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John said, if you're walking in the darkness and you claim to know God, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. By the way, John calls us liars a lot. All right, so just so you, you know, don't think I'm just being a hard shell, hardcore, you know, Baptist or whatever preacher you associate that with. I'm just preaching John. And by the way, John is called the what disciple? The beloved disciple, right? He was like Jesus' closest buddy on earth. And, uh, but you know, he was willing to call it the way it is. So, um, then the second week was last week, and I just titled it Keep His Commandments because he says this over and over again. Uh, Jesus said, and he repeated it several times in John's Gospel, chapter 14, he said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments, keep my word, do what I say, all right? So it's not enough to say you love Jesus, you do what you say. Okay, and that's what this gospel is all about. So now this week is do not love the world, all right, or do not love this world. Now I have this uh, passage memorized from like a million years ago, um, but there are three verses here, um, and it begins, do not love the world or the things in the world, for if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the things that are of this world are passing away, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. Amen? Who gets to live forever? Well, so we say, by grace are you saved through faith. But if you believe, then you're going to do what you say you believe or you don't really believe. That's James, Jesus' half-brother. Faith without works is? right? Faith works. You do what you believe. If you do the will of God, you live forever. That's the gift of God, all right? So let's take a look at this. Let's, let's take these three verses apart. Um, this is thematic, but we're going to go verse by verse through at least these three verses. First of all, he says, do not love the world. What does he mean by the world? Well, this is kind of, uh, could be confusing, or it would seem to be contradictory, because the same writer records Jesus saying, for God so loved the 
wait a minute now. And now he says, do not love the world. Oh, contradiction in the Bible. What are we going to do about all of that? Well, he's using the word world the same way we use the word world, okay? We can say the world and think of the earth. We can say the world and think of, uh, you know, the world government, world system, and so forth. Or we could be referring to the people of the world. And so I think um, if we understand what John 3.16 says, he's referring to the people of the world. Now, they're lost. The world is fallen, and we're fallen and lost without Jesus. God loves the fallen world, the fallen people of the world, so much that he sent his son to save them, right? But here we have, uh, um, we encounter a definition of what he means by world in the next statement. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. So he's not referring to the people of the world. He's referring to what this world has to offer you and I, right? So the world is fallen humanity, separated from God and ruled by the God of this world. That's what, or the God of this age. That's what uh, the Apostle Paul uh, refers to or calls Satan in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Uh, B.F. Westcott, the commentator, the 19th century commentator on John's gospel, and I also have a commentary on 1 John, says this, when he defines the world, he said, he says, it is the order of finite being regarded as apart from God. In other words, it's all that is separated from God. Are you in love with what doesn't have anything to do with God? Further, B.F. Westcott says, whatever is treated as complete without reference to God is so far a rival to God. So in other words, what we're dealing with is a world that is separate from God and it can become an idol or it can offer idols to us. So is it any wonder we hear people in our godless world, you know, the world has moved further and further away from faith in God and you hear people, uh, they, they say things like, you know, the universe told me this, right? The universe must be trying to say something to me. Have you heard this? Nonsense, balderdash, poppycock. The universe is saying one thing to you. Oh, the stars are aligned for me. The stars are saying one thing to you. What is it? The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament his praise. The only thing the universe is saying to you is God made me. That's what the universe is saying to you. Other than that, the devil is talking in your ear or it's just your own little sense of intuition or whatever it is, but the universe ain't saying anything to you except I've been created by Almighty God. We did an entire, uh, a little series on apologetics and did an entire message talking about uh, the fine-tuning of the universe, the fine-tuning of the constants and quantities of the universe and how they point to the existence of God. That's exactly what's happening. The universe ain't telling you nothing other than that, okay? Uh, it's, you know, matter, that's what it is. It's just material. And that material isn't saying anything to you, right? So we need to stop idolizing. And nature is beautiful. How many of you like to go for, for a hike, a nature walk, go outside, right? Man, to clear my head, um, I've I, I got to confess, I don't do this anymore. My, my mountain bike has been sitting in storage for probably five years. But in fact, the tires probably are flat and, you know, I've got a really awesome mountain bike and I just never ride it, obviously, never ride it anymore. But I used to go out to the Rowlett Creek Nature Park and ride my bike and just get in the trees and blah, unload, you know, what was in my head. 
Well, God created the, the universe. He created the earth. Nature can speak to you, right? But it speaks to you by guiding your focus to the Lord. But you know, some people just, they don't stop there or, or they do stop there. They don't look beyond. Uh, it's kind of like, I can't remember if it's Return of the Dragon or Enter the Dragon, but Bruce Lee is having a conversation with this student and he talks about, then there is the finger, and the finger points to glory. But you don't look at the finger. You look at the glory the finger is pointing to. Yeah, well, Bruce Lee had it figured out. That's right. But you know what we do? We stare at the finger. We stare at the stars as though that's the end. I was born on the south rim of, Grand, of the Grand Canyon, right? I'm still utterly stunned when I go and visit Grand Can- the Grand Canyon. It's, it's breathtaking. It's stunning. You can't, you can, you know, there's a, Canyons up in West Texas and so forth that are breathtaking. The desert can be beautiful. The mountains can be beautiful. The ocean can be beautiful. But it's all pointing to the existence of God, okay? Um, all right, so number two, the, the fallen world is marked by selfishness, right? So there's an ongoing argument in philosophy and religion as to whether human beings are fundamentally evil or fundamentally good, For many years, philosophers, um, even psychologists, psychiatrists uh, like Freud, uh, Thomas Hobbes, um, others, uh, the, uh, the founder of Calvinism, John Calvin, said human beings are depraved, we're evil. Well, if you look at what's going on in the Middle East right now and you look at what happened with Hamas coming over the border and all of that horror that took place, you could say, yeah, pretty much. And yet, the other side says, no, human beings are actually fundamentally good. They just get messed up by the environment that they're in, okay? So that came along in the Enlightenment uh, with people like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who's an uh, individual that many look to in the, uh, the education world, okay? Um, but I always have said this. Human beings are not fundamentally evil or fundamentally good. They're fundamentally selfish, And selfishness can cause you to do good or evil, right? Think about your children. You would do anything for your kids, wouldn't you? You would act unselfishly for your children. But yet there's a degree of selfishness there, right? You're preserving your DNA, so it makes sense. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just trying to help you understand this is the way we are. As a result of that selfishness, we can end up doing some pretty terrible things or just some moderately terrible things, right? Well, the fallen world is marked by selfishness, right? Uh, Self-preservation, you could say. And that breaks down into a number of things. And this is just a a little short list. Uh, Covetousness. That's, I want what you have. That leads me to, you know, robbery. That leads me to uh, some sort of, you know, fraudulence or abuse or whatever. Conceit, I'm better than you. Competition, that's the law of the jungle. Dog eat dog. Uh, The rat race and so forth, okay? Competition can be healthy, sure, okay? But in the end, it's competition for goods and services. Uh, And then... um, Consumption, I could have put that one first, and that's why I played the Dave Matthews song too much, right? Uh, We are a consumer culture, so we're obviously in the midst of that consumption. Um, I'm making some cultural references here. I think the mascot for consumption could be a character from the first three Star Wars movies. 
who was featured prominently in uh, the, uh, the Return of the Jedi. Who do we think I'm referring to? Jabba the Hutt, man. He's like, bah, bah, bah. he's just this big blob that's just consuming everything. You know, I always thought that that's like the typical American right there. Okay, more, more, more. Oh, there's another cultural reference for you, right? How about Men in Black? Remember the bug? And then, you know, it's, it's perfect for Halloween, right? You know, he puts on Edgar's skin. Edgar, your skin is hanging off your bones, right? And then he says, I need sugar and water. So she gives him some sugar and water and he says, more, more, more. Well, that's kind of where we are. It's more, we're never satisfied. More, more, more. We got to have more. We're never satisfied, right? We get filled up temporarily and then we need more. Um, and then there's corruption, cheating, hypocrisy, bending or breaking the rules to profit or obtain or retain power. So what this verse is telling us and what John is trying to tell us here is don't be enchanted by what the world has to offer. Don't allow yourself to be uh, lured in by the world. When you occupy your time with worldly entertainment and pursuits, the insidious ideas of the enemy invade your mind and take over. I have watched people, okay? And, you know, they move further and further away from the Lord. They move further and further away from his word, right? And they're not bad people, but they move deeper and deeper into the world, and they're just infected and influenced by all of these ideas. And now there are folks that, you know, I they were in my youth group or they were in this church in the early days or whatever. And their belief system is now dramatically different than it was then or, you know, than what it appeared to be then. Because the world, my friend, is diametrically opposed to the word of God. All right? We have an antichrist culture now. The culture used to be moderately Christian, right? Nominally would be a better term, Christian. But that's not the case at all anymore. Now, you could say the culture is somewhat bifurcated, right? There are those that still uh, hearken back or hail to traditional values. Um, a good example of this is our, our current Speaker of the House, um, Mike Johnson, uh, who's a Southern Baptist, by the way, and a very strong Christian. And I'm looking forward to the kind of leadership that he will offer the house. He said, if you want to know my worldview, pick up a Bible. I'm with you, brother. I am absolutely with you. Oh, I brought politics in and now the room is just cold, right? Just, can you stop? I will support anybody that loves Jesus. Do you understand that? I don't care if they're Republican. I don't care if they're Democrat. Do they love Jesus? That's what I want to know. Do they follow the word of God? That's what I want to know, right? I don't care if you're, you know, whatever your affiliation is supposed to be. We're entirely too tribal about these things. We're too divided regarding these things. But he represents a side of the culture that still exists, but it's become a subculture. The primary culture right now is an antichrist culture, okay? Um, so let's... Uh, Let's move to, oh, well, you know, another cultural reference for you. I, I talked about uh, soon enough you'll be in bondage to the world if you start listening to these ideas. Uh, you know, a very popular movie when I first started this church was The Matrix. You remember that movie? Yeah. Right? And Morpheus says, the Matrix has you, Neo. Yeah, man, that's what happens when you are enthralled by the world. The Matrix has you. If you don't know that reference, go watch the movie. All right. Um, 
Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world, okay? So I define world in that first section. Now let's de- define lust. We often just think of lust as being a sexual thing, right? You're, you know, you lust after someone's body or whatever. But uh, that, is, uh, that is a limiting idea when it concerns this Greek word. The Greek word is epithumia, say that word. And it means eager desire. Can you eager to eagerly desire something good? You can. You can eagerly desire something good. You can eagerly desire something bad. Or you can eagerly desire something so much that it becomes bad because it becomes an idol that usurps God. That's what we're talking about here. The lust of the flesh. This is consumption or sensuality. There's a Greek word there uh, that I think uh, really helps us to understand this. Sensuality in Greek, it is this word aselgia, aselgia, right? And it means that I'm going after whatever will make me feel good. And it really doesn't matter. I'll go overboard for it. I'll do anything for it. Um, The old phrase back when I was growing up was, if it feels good, do it. You heard that phrase? That's what we're talking about here, the lust of the flesh. I'm looking for what feels good. Now, sometimes, you know, we felt bad for so long, we're just looking for a way to feel good. Or, you know, I've, uh, at several times in my life, I've had back pain. Has anybody had back pain? All right. And when you have back pain, you can't, it's like, there's nothing you can do about it. You lay down, you try to move, you know, do whatever you can do. So it, it helps me understand how people can get addicted to things like opioids, right? Or muscle relaxers. You know, if you've never been in that situation, you might think, well, they're just weak. Or they're just foolish. They're just druggies, okay? Now, I'm not justifying that. And if you're in that world and, and that's an addiction for you, then, you know, let me pray that you will find some help. But I understand how people who just, they're tired of the pain and they just want to feel better. But this can be psychological as well, right? This is why people become alcoholics, become drug abusers, become, uh, and drug abuse is not just illegal drugs. People abuse legal drugs as well, assisted by their doctors, right? They're just trying to feel better. Friends, I don't know about you, but the last three years with all of this politics and protests and pandemics, man, it's been a nightmare, hasn't it? You know, I mean, we were told that church is not necessary. It's not essential. And many churches, ours included, have struggled to recover from uh, the attendance deficits that we felt, right? I was talking to somebody um, who attends another church that's much larger than this church that is headed by someone who I once knew that was in my youth group. And they were saying, yeah, it's a great church. It really is, but it's really big and they have curtains up everywhere to cover all of the empty seats. I'm like, man, yeah, this is not a big church, but there's plenty of empty seats. Uh, All I'm saying is there have probably been things that have been very difficult on you through these last three years. And now we're facing all of this stuff in the Middle East and possible war and these sorts of things. And it can really grind on you. Well, lust of the flesh says, I just want to feel better. You're not necessarily just into sensuality. You just want to feel better. You're tired of pain. Unfortunately, we can end up replacing that pain with something that will bring us into a far worse situation than we were in previously, okay? Um, 
examples of the lust of the flesh uh, when it goes uh, too far south. Gluttony, right? Uh, you know, some people eat to feel better and they eat too much. You may, may look like you eat too much or not look like you eat too much. That is really irrelevant, okay? Some people who have this problem with gluttony have ways of dealing with it that cause them to still appear to be thin, right? But gluttony is simply overeating, 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 all right? Um, obviously, drunkenness that I, I just mentioned, using alcohol as a drug, drug use, sexual immorality, uh, thrill-seeking and the constant need to be entertained. These are examples, all right? The lust of the eyes. This is covetousness or greed. And the, the saying, I guess, that could get behind the lust of the eyes is if it looks good, get it, right? Get it, however you can get it. If you're going to get it legitimately, if it looks good, buy it, then perhaps you could say, um, but there is a continuous need for more. It is insatiable. You never, never, never have enough, right? And then the last one is the boastful pride of life. This is conceit. And the phrase that could define this is, I'm better than you, or I'm right and you're wrong. Um, it is a constant striving for power over others. We see this in politics, right? We see very, very wealthy people who are not satisfied with being very, very wealthy. They want to be very, very powerful. They want to be the most powerful person in the world. It's a need for more recognition, more awards, more degrees, higher status. This is what the world is about. It's all, all of these are insatiable. You can't ever fill it up. It's just a giant black hole. And you keep throwing stuff into that black hole and all it does is swallows it. It says more, more, more. It's never going to make you happy, okay? Some of you thought, you know what? If I can just get to the end of the rainbow, the end of the rainbow looks like this to me, right? And now you're near the end of the rainbow and there's no pot of gold. And you're like, what in the world? I thought once I got here, there'd be that pot of gold and I'd feel good and everything would be great because there's no pot of gold down here. The rainbow is God's promise and it points to him, just like the universe. It doesn't point to a political movement and it doesn't point to a pot of gold. It points to Jesus. It points to the Lord's promise, okay? Um, so you can either love the world or love Father God. These two are mutually exclusive. You cannot love both. That's what the, the apostle is saying right here. What did Jesus say? He said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve, and he uses money. You cannot serve God and money, but you cannot serve God and anything. You serve God and then he gives you gifts to be used to his glory, Amen. And then, you know, uh, Jesus' half-brother James got a little bit more uh, challenging when he said, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? And then the final verse that we'll look at, he says, this is the reason why you don't go after these things, not just because I said so, right? But because the world is passing away and also its lusts, all the desires you would have here are going away. You can't keep it. You can bottle it all up. You can can it all. You can save it all, but you can't keep it. 
keep it because one day you're going to pass away and you're going to pass that on to somebody else. The world is passing away and that includes you and I. But the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. That's the gift that Jesus promised to offer, right? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life at the beginning. That's John chapter 11 after, or just before actually, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And we are told in the prologue of John's gospel that uh, in, the, 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 in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of the world. See, if you want life, you don't seek it in things. You seek it in the word, the Lord of life, all right? So even if you could have it all, nothing the world has to offer will last. What did Jesus say? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And by the way, this could be man or woman. I'm just using old school translation, right? Um, Number seven in my outline, God has not called us to leave the world though, right? So there was a famous saint, um, in uh, after Christianity became a legal religion in the Roman Empire, it became very popular. And you could become very powerful by becoming a bishop, right? So Christianity turned from being an illegal religion to being a legal religion to being the religion of the empire. And so then there were people that were flooding into the Christian churches because they wanted to attain or obtain uh, profit and power. And so those who were um, sincere about faith in Christ said, you know what, we're checking out. We're not going to be a part of any of this disaster. That's not real Christianity. And that's how the monastic movement started. That's how monks began. And what you had was you had these monks, and the one that I'm referring to is a famous monk by the name of St. Anthony, uh, Anselm, the, fa- the, the famous anti-Trinitarian, uh, or pro-Trinitarian, um, uh, church father, was a fan of, of Anthony or St. Anthony. But see, here's the weird thing. St. Anthony, I mean, sure, he was really devoted, but listen to me. St. Anthony lived in a tomb for two years. Like, what? This is, You got some psychological problems here, bro, right? But he wanted to be separate from the world, so he moved into a tomb for two years. That didn't do it, so he moved way out on the Egyptian desert and just lived in a little, you know, cave there. Nonetheless, people went out to him and they wanted to learn from him, whatever. Listen, Jesus didn't call us to be monks, amen? He didn't call you to, 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 uh, to be separated from the world in that, in that way, okay? Um, Jesus said this in his uh, high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Now he's talking about his disciples. He's praying about his disciples. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So here's our approach. We need to live in fundamental detachment from the world And this is how the Apostle Paul lived it and taught it. Um, In Galatians 6, 14, the Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. He saw that kind of separation, even though he lived in the world. 
He saw this identification with Jesus on the cross, meaning he was separated from the world and the world was separated from him. So this is why he could say things like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, what? Right, so he said that in reference to either living with a lot or living with a little. He said, it doesn't matter. If I have a lot or if I have a little, my approach is the same. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I can't pay my bills or whether I have so much that I don't know what to do with it, I'm gonna have the same approach to life. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Um, and then here's the practical from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and you're not gonna like it, but okay. Um, this is a sort of a summation of what the Apostle Paul was teaching there. He said, but I say, brothers, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, he's not saying divorce your wives, leaves your home, right? He's saying, hold on to all of this loosely. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. There's the phrase. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the present form of this world is passing away, right? Number seven, there's a great reward when you let go of the world and put your trust fully in the word. He will provide peace, he will provide wisdom, he will provide protection and everything that you need down here. And his reward is eternal life. Here's uh, what Jesus said to his disciples just before that high priestly prayer, by the way. This is John 16, um, We're living in a world that is devoid of peace right now. Jesus said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Listen, guys, as long as we're down here, there's gonna be trouble. You, th this ain't heaven, right? That's my short answer to why all this evil in the world. This ain't heaven but heaven's on the way. And I'm gonna rest in that reality, okay? He said, if you're in me, if you're in me, this is you, this is Jesus. If you're in me, you will have peace. In the world, you're gonna have trouble, right? Get on your social media. Maybe you've, you've called your social media, distilled it down to where you don't have any political references and any, you know, divisiveness or anything like that. I am, I have been back on Twitter for about two years and it's not because any of you are really on there, but it's primarily because I can follow all these different uh, news sources and so forth and get news and information, right? And uh, if I want to get depressed real fast, all I have to do is get on Twitter, I mean, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Turkey is sending 160 warships into the Gulf, all right? Um, or over in and around um, what's going on in the Middle East. I mean, they're just gearing up. And I will tell you this, Hamas knew this. They knew this would be the, the knee-jerk reaction of all this evil. They knew Israel wasn't gonna tolerate this. They knew this would result in exactly what's happening right now. If you look to the world, it will drive you insane, friends. It will drive you insane with anger. It will drive you insane with fear. It will drive you insane with sadness. You've got to be in Christ. I don't know what the Lord's gonna do, but I've read the last chapter and I know who wins. 
and I'm going to remain in Christ, okay? So we need to let go of the world, and we need to put our hope in the, in the word, right? Um, further, this is, uh, this is just a little further ahead in our letter, 1 John. In 1 John 4, 4, he writes, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Uh, my old friend who passed away several years ago, Larry Lott, used to call this God's 44 Magnum, right? You want to blow the devil away, you just need the last half of this verse. Say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Bam, devil, headshot. Because I know that I've overcome through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then a chapter later in our same book here, 1 John, uh, 1 John 5, 4. That was 1 John 4, 4. Now, 1 John 5, 4, uh, John writes, for whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. Have you been born of God? Then even if you feel like it or don't feel like it, in Christ, you have overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Do you know how you proceed? You walk by faith and not by sight. As long as you walk by sight, you're gonna continuously stumble. But if you walk by faith, the Lord is going to lead you through every trap and lead you around every mine and lead you away from every jackpot situation. But you've got to walk by faith and not by sight. Number eight, when you're in Christ, the source of your life is in heaven, not on earth. Um, in Colossians 3.3, the apostle Paul says, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When I'm in Christ, I've been crucified with Christ and I have been raised with Christ. If I'm in Christ, my life cannot be taken from me. Do you hear me? If some crazy mass shooter or terrorist or whatever comes breaking into some place where you are and blows you away, they cannot take your life. Amen? Because the source of your life is beyond their clutches. This is why Christians were just not scared of anything. They weren't scared to give up their lives. Because they know not just where they're going, but where the source of life is for them, all right? So number nine, keep seeking the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. That was what the Apostle Paul said just a couple of verses earlier in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. And this is where I will conclude. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you've been born again, you've been raised with Christ. Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What occupies your thinking most of the time, right? Uh, I had a really good, long conversation with uh, our Miss Mary yesterday. Um, I was uh, doing my, my daily word. It was about 7.04. She said the Lord woke her up at three o'clock in the morning and she'd had some dream that she, she has these dreams that she wants to tell me about all the time because she believes that they're prophetic dreams. And uh, she said, she said, I thought that the Lord was telling me to call you then, but it was three o'clock in the morning, so I waited. <laughs> like, well, I might've been awake. <laughs> I don't know how many of you wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep, but that's like the story of my life these days, right? But nonetheless, she just had this long conversation. Here's the difference between Miss Mary and 99.99% of people in the world. All she thinks about is Jesus. All she does is read the word. You say, well, she's kind of old and, you know, that's just, I got things to do. I got obligations and so forth. I get that. But what do you default to? What are, what are you preoccupied with? Where is your mind focused? What do you talk about? 
What wakes you up in the morning? Right? I encourage you, if you don't already do it, first thing in the morning, get into the word. It doesn't even have to be long. Just get into the word. Okay, um, I send out a daily Bible passage. Get uh, get one of our uh, our bulletins. There's probably, probably a couple back left back there. It'll tell you how to get that daily Bible passage, or go to lifefullchurch.com. But it's not just me. You can you can you know get into the Word in, in other ways. I just don't want to offer you a solution without giving you the way that you can use that solution. Okay, but you need to change your mind. It needs to be filled with the Word. Amen. All right, so that's the conclusion of the message today. Pretty straightforward. Um, the key is that you need to be in Christ. That means you need to have put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Can you say that? Do you mean that? That means he's the boss. Not off out there somewhere, but he's my boss. Can you say Jesus is Lord? That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Do you believe Jesus is still on that cross? Do you believe Jesus is rotting in a grave somewhere? Do you believe Jesus rose on the third day? Then the scripture says you are saved. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Then a couple verses later, it says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just like a little kid lost at the fair. We just had the fair, right? Okay. One of your kids ever lost? Were you ever lost as a kid? What did you do? You probably cried out, mama or daddy. And if your mom or dad was worth their salt, they were looking all over the place for you. And the moment, the moment they heard your cry, they came running to you. The moment you hear your kids cry, you're going to go run into them. That's what Jesus says. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. He will step out of heaven and step into your heart and save you forever. It's a simple prayer. All you got to do is say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I need you to save me. And he will. 